So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the third gospel. We are continuing in this important uh, event of the announcement and the birth of John the Baptist, who himself, we found out last week, came in the spirit of Elijah and uh, announced and prepared the way, prepared for the arrival of Jesus Christ. He was born just before him, um, and his job as the final Old Testament prophet uh, was to point to Jesus and to announce his arrival. He was that last prophet that was greater than all the Old Testament prophets, but that was less than the least of the kingdom. And that doesn't mean that he was less holy than any of us. Um, no, what that meant was he was in a particular time in redemptive history in which at his certain point, he was to announce the arrival of Jesus Christ but part of his life and in his history was not to experience here on this earth uh, the actual establishment of that kingdom uh, through the pouring out of the Spirit that would happen at Pentecost. That is reserved for you and me. But now we continue in uh, this event and this narrative of the announcement of John the Baptist's birth And uh, just to gain uh, some context here, we're going to read, start reading from verse 8, and we're going to read through verse 25. Verse 8 through verse 25. And let us uh, stand, uh, if you're able, while we read out of respect for God's word. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was 
unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Please pray with me. Father, as we come to your word, we pray, Lord God, that you would equip your servant to speak your words and your words alone. We pray that we would see Jesus Christ in his glory. We would see the hope of his gospel. And that, Lord God, that you would open hearts and minds to receive your word, that you may change lives, that your word will not come back to you empty. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You ever heard news that seemed a little too good to be true? I'll, I'll tell you right now. The news that is probably the best, that is probably the, the, the most at being too good to be true is the gospel itself. I, I want you to think about this, okay? <clears throat> we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And, and it's not as if, it's not as if um, we were struggling with all our efforts and we... We gave a, a good try, and, and uh, we just fell just a little bit short. No. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says we were dead. Dead by nature, children of wrath, destined for destruction, deserving of hell before the face of God. Absolutely dead. Unable of our own power because, not because we were sick and somehow debilitated. No. Dead. Unable, without Christ, unable to do any good whatsoever seeking God. And it, it, I'll tell you this right now. When sin enters in this world, it is absolutely impossible without faith in Jesus Christ to do anything good worthy of acceptance to God. Because the second you do that, when you say, you know what, I can go to my good efforts, there's two things that you're doing. Number one, you are rejecting the good news that God has provided a way of salvation for you. That's one thing. So you're slapping the hand that feeds you. But second, you're imagining as if you go to God and somehow God should be thanking you for your efforts. And so what does it do to your efforts? It spoils it. It becomes nothing but a, a narcissistic endeavor to justify yourself before a holy God when none of us are able to do it. Dead. Dead is what we were. Dead is what anybody is outside of faith in Christ. Dead. That's the bad news. But then the good news that is too good to be true is this. That the reason why you have any right to come before a holy God, to be in his presence, to sing his praises, the reason why you have any hope of resurrection at all has nothing to do with what you do. 
And that is this. Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh, came down, emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, fulfilled every jot and tittle of righteousness that we could not do, and was the absolute perfect sacrifice, marched to the cross, and willingly spilled his blood, gave his own life, laid down his life, absorbed the wrath for his people, an eternity's worth of wrath, which is the reason why Jesus needed to be God too. An eternity's worth of wrath, and then had the authority to take his life back up again, and indeed he did on the third day. And because of that, and this is, this is what's so monumental about this good news. Because of what Jesus did there, what Jesus did not do, and listen to me very carefully, Jesus did not give you another chance. That's not what he did. That's not what he did. He did not give you another chance. He did not say, okay, I re-equipped you, now, now, now go and, 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 and do it yourself. No, no, no. What did he do? He raised you from the spiritual dead. And he fulfilled everything that you owed. And there is, listen, there's nothing left for you to do. I, I know this seems a little wild to many, but aren't we supposed to obey God? But you have to understand this. Obedience without faith in Christ is impossible. It's impossible. Because the second you say, the second you say to yourself, well, Jesus Christ died so that I could be obedient to God. That may be a true statement in just its bare words. But that doesn't say enough. That doesn't say enough, folks. Because you have to recognize that the obedience that you are able to do is provided itself by Christ through his spirit. You cannot give it. And this is, this is what's so magnificent about the gospel. It takes every bit of obligation and responsibility for our own salvation and rips it from our hands and says no. And what does that do? It empowers you and enables you by recognizing that you cannot earn your way into God's favor. It enables you to do true obedience. And what's true obedience? Obedience is this. It is obedience to God not to earn a standing before him, but an obedience to God out of pure love, joy, thankfulness, for what God has already done. That's true obedience. And the only way that obedience can ever be exercised is if you recognize that your salvation from beginning to end is provided by Jesus Christ himself. He saves you. He sustains you. He completes you. Your salvation from beginning to end, from the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ to the moment you die or to the, or, or into eternity, it is Jesus Christ that maintains and completes your salvation. There is nothing left for you to do. Okay, is that a little too good? 
And, and I would propose to you that the reason why this world doesn't like that message, in part, is because it sounds too good to be true. It sounds too good to be true. No, I have to contribute something. I have to contribute something. That's too good to be true. Well, if you're thinking only in the flesh, then yeah, you're right. It's too good to be true. But what's impossible with man is possible with God. And with God, it's not too good to be true. With God, it is absolute reality. And your salvation is not based upon your perspective or your lack of faith. It is dependent on the faithfulness of God himself. This is what we see here. Good news given to Zachariah. Good news. Fantastic news. His wife was barren for years. And Zachariah's, huh? Yeah, yeah. How, how am I going to know this? And, and so we look at this and we see this activity of Zechariah and his response to the angel's message. And we see a lack of faith. Now, what we see here is also an example of how God deals with his people, his people. Okay, Zechariah was, remember, just verses before was proclaimed a righteous man, someone who was blameless before the Lord. And so, but now we have the story of him doubting. What gives? You have to understand where God proclaims you to be righteous, right? And the righteousness that God proclaims you to be, he works in you throughout your life to make you more what God has proclaimed you to be. You are righteous before him. God has proclaimed you righteous based on the good works of Jesus Christ. But now in this life, God is forming you, forming you, forming you, forming you, forming you into the image of, of Jesus Christ. That's called sanctification. And he does it through discipline many times, through discipline. And we have that example here in our text. Uh, so look with me. Uh, look at verse 18. Zechariah does something stupid. In response to the news, he says, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The problem question. Literally, the, the phraseology is, According to what? According to what? He's asking for a sign. According to what will I know this? It's uh, You can think of it similar to the attitude of Eve when she herself wanted to make the determination whether or not the fruit was good to eat. Genesis 3, 6 says, uh, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, right? She wanted to make a self-determination. Zechariah sought confirmation as a judge to believe the angel's words. He wanted a sign. Show me a sign. When the, when the word should have been sufficient... According to what? Saying, meaning, what sign would you give me? Now, Jesus says in Matthew 12, 39, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. Now, there's been note here by certain commentators. Abraham sought a sign. Hezekiah sought a sign. Uh, Gideon sought a sign. What was different? What was different here? And, and, and I'll tell you, all the commentators agree. There's a number of things. Number one, uh, their request for a sign was not because of doubt, but they believed and they wanted their strength, they wanted their faith strengthened. Okay, so that's one. But the second is, you have to consider where Zechariah is in history. 
He has seen Abraham. He has seen all this. And you have to consider the entire situation. He is praying in the temple, and an angel just pops and appears right, him, right, right, right to his right. Now, I mean, there's, no, there's, there's a lot of excuses that need to be thrown away. He is obviously standing in the midst of a powerful angel, a messenger of God, and he's doubting. He shouldn't have. The fact that an angel was standing there should have been a sign in itself. Apparently, it wasn't enough for Zechariah. Now, later on, we see Mary's question, right, in verse 34, when Mary is told that she's going to give birth to Jesus Christ. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? But even the question itself turns, our, uh, turns her eyes away from herself. She didn't ask, how will I know this? She says, how will this be? This is, this is not an activity of a question of doubt, but in amazement. She believes the angel's words. And she says, wow, how is this going to happen? And of course, this attitude is revealed in verse 38. When Mary says to the angel, let it be to me according to your word. You see the difference? So here, what Zachariah says is, it's a, it's a reason that focuses on self. Now, let's, let's, let's admit something. There is, might seem to be a legitimate reason for doubt. Zechariah is old. Elizabeth is advanced in years. She was barren. Um, there's, some people would say that there is a play on words here where Zechariah says, I myself am old. I myself am old. He identifies himself. I myself am old. But Zechariah has to learn to read the room here. Somewhat humorous response from the angel. I myself and Gabriel. You need to recognize who you're talking to, sir. Gabriel is an angel. He is an angel that can do what Zechariah cannot stand before the face of God. Uh, if you notice, Zechariah is in the holy places, but he's not in the most holy place. Why? It's a curtain right there. He can't stand before God. He's not holy enough. The angel can What does this mean? This means that while Zacharias should not fear destruction, he should fear an angel because of who he is. Psalm 104.4 says, He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flame of fire. It speaks of the heavenly angels. This also means that these messengers carry the force and surety of God's very word. Even the name Gabriel, Gabriel, means mighty one of God. That's where you might get the sense of, I am Gabriel, a mighty one of God. You need to recognize who you're talking to. Gabriel himself says that he was sent, which means his word carries a higher authority that comes from God himself. And so we have to learn when to accept a good thing. He was sent to bring good news, literally to preach a gospel, a good news, good news delivered by angels was to be accepted and received with joy, and Zechariah failed in that by questioning the good news of those words. Seemed a little too good to be true for him. And so what happens in response is God's appropriate discipline. We look at that in verse 20. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And so there is a di discipline that really fits the crime. He's not going to be able to speak. He's going to be mute until the day in which he was promised would happen would actually happen. The birth 
of his son, John. A clear reason for discipline here in our text is given. He did not believe the words of the God's messenger. Did not believe it. Nevertheless, Gabriel reiterates that those words, which Zechariah did not believe, will still be fulfilled in its proper time. You notice that the discipline, even our own sin, when we sin before God, and this is, this is important for us to realize, when we are doubting the very promises of God, forgetting that we were elect by living out in our disobedience, we go to God, but God, while he disciplines us rightly, you notice the promise is not taken away. Promise is not taken away. Oh, God will fulfill his promises because he has staked his promise on his own faithfulness. And, so, and God cannot deny himself. That's impossible. In order for him to renege on his promises of salvation for those who believe in Jesus Christ, he would need to cease to be God. But as we see here, the leadership role gets affected. The people get to see God's glory in its discipline. Look at verse 21. The people were waiting for Zechariah. They were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. So there was a delay. And the people are, are amazed by it. They're wondering what in the world is going on. Typically, this is, this is a quick situation. You go in there. You have the prayers. You, you come in. You do the incense. You offer the prayers to God. And then you quickly come out and you give this, the erratic blessing. Right? Much, a, ben, a benediction, uh, basically. But it becomes clear to the people that Zechariah has seen a vision when he comes out. First was the amazing issue of Zechariah's delay. What's going on with him? But also, remember, the priest was supposed to give the erratic blessing. And so you have to imagine what the people are expecting in this idea of worship. He comes out and the angel, just, this, this really gives you the object of discipline, which you understand that Zechariah was given. He did not believe in the word of the angel, which, which was a word of blessing. And so God was not going to allow him to hypocritically go and lay a blessing to the people. He shut his mouth. And so he comes up. They expect to hear the erratic blessing and he can't talk. He can't talk. That entire situation made clear to the people that Zechariah had seen a vision. He could not give the erratic blessing. So he was reduced to giving signs. There was grace that still remained even in that discipline. Zachariah was still permitted to fulfill his role that full week of service in the temple, although with limitations, obviously, because he couldn't talk. He is relegated to giving signs. He's able to fulfill the days of his service in the temple for his allotted time before he departs home, as our text says. And even here, as we see Zechariah's discipline, we also see that God remains merciful. His intention is never to crush but to gently chastise so that we may share in the joy of his holiness. The goal in God's discipline is that we should be fully prepared to receive the promise that God has determined to give us. God has determined, if you believe in Christ, 
God is determined to save you and to complete your salvation. And he will do what is necessary to make sure you get there, even if it means discipline. Sometimes it means discipline for lack of faith. Sometimes it means encouragement. Right? Admonish the idol, as Paul would say. Admonish the idol. Uh, encourage the faint-hearted. God has this perfect idea of providing situations and circumstances to you exactly when you need it for admonishing discipline or encouragement through difficult times. And through, the, through that activity, he is preparing you for a weight of glory that is absolutely immense. He's preparing you for that because it is that glory that he has promised you in Christ. And so the promise remains. We see that in our text. Look at verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. After these days, after the days of the service. Don't know when, how long it was that she conceived. But the one who was barren now conceives in her womb. The one who was to prepare the way for the coming of our Lord was determined by God to arrive. And nothing will stop it. Once God says in his word that something is going to come to pass, it can never be undone. And this is due to God's unchanging nature. Malachi 3.6, a great verse that says, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O Israel, will not be consumed. This means that what God has expressed in his word is something that he determines in the eternity of his own mind. Once God says something will happen, it becomes impossible for it not to happen. This is specifically true for God's plan of salvation and is the reason why, despite, despite Zechariah's lack of faith, he would still, as the angel said, experience the joy of having a son. God said it would happen and it was going to happen. And so out of this joy, Elizabeth has a very interesting reaction here. It's almost like a, a prophetic sign in verse in the second part of verse 24 into 25. For five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Hid it for five months. Why hide a good thing? Well, it could be a couple of reasons why. Um, first, you have to understand the scorn that Elizabeth would have endured because of her barrenness. Uh, there was a preparation that God had done in the life of Elizabeth that she would conceive. Uh, how, believe, how believable would it be for an old woman to conceive? It would have been wise to conceal herself until her pregnancy would be obvious to everyone there. Then she would announce it. And, but she would announce it to everybody and, and the proof would be there. And people would operate in amazement. But I also think that there is a, a, a word that is spoken by her activity because it says here in the verse, she kept herself hidden. And, and this is what she says, verse 25. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Several things you have to consider here. A connection in her concealment of her pregnancy and the concealing that God did to her. And you have in here, what Sarah is doing is recognizing the sovereign plan of God 
that all along while she sat barren, while she was pleading and praying and praying and praying and praying that she would have a son, that she would have a child, God had answered her prayer. God had determined from all eternity and had concealed from Elizabeth that she was going to have a son until that point. You see that? He said, she says, thus God has done for me. He did it to take away her reproach among people, literally mankind. It's a, it's a spread of all human beings, a humanity. It speaks to the culture of the day. Uh, when women were not able to conceive, they were looked at to be cursed. Maybe they did something wrong because children were a blessing. A little different than now in the 20th and the 21st century. Um, it's unfortunate, I think, that children are not considered to be blessings. They are. They are blessings. But here, we see a recognition of God's sovereignty with Elizabeth and recognizing that all along God had planned to bless her by giving her a son. It's a wonderful thing. And you see the faith and the joy that, that happens within Elizabeth and the care that God has for the barren one. And, and this is, I think, a one sort of physical manifestation of a spiritual reality. You can think of this church of Grace OPC as being somewhat barren. Barren of people worshiping and coming with us and joining us in worship. And you have to recognize and understand the promise that anybody who belongs to Jesus Christ is never barren. Even if you are not married, as it says in, in, in Isaiah 54, those of you who are not married, you're married to Christ, and you are not barren. You provide spiritual children. This is where you know the the, the great article uh, Machen's Warrior Children comes about. Machen was never married, never had any children, but the Machen Warrior Children happened to do with all the young men that he trained and helped. Oh, it, there are spiritual. I I have. I, I always like to say that I have many fathers and many counselors. I don't just have one dad that has gone into glory, but I have many of them that I lean on even now. Spiritual fathers. And remember that the family of God is a spiritual family. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. You have been given the blessing to participate in a spiritual fruitfulness. And you should take part in it. By proclaiming Christ, by living him, by proclaiming this good news that seems too good to be true. But you believe it, don't you? Act like it. Believe it. And certainly now we will have this chance to confess him together as we proclaim Christ's death until he comes. So let's pray now and then we will feast on Christ. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for this good news that, is, that we confess is very difficult, difficult to believe, very difficult to accept. Nay, it's even impossible to accept without the help of your spirit. And so, Father, we pray that your spirit will dwell among us, opening our eyes to the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we partake of these elements, Lord, we pray that you would grant us joy, Lord, making uh, increase our faith, increase our surety in the good news that you have granted us in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.